This episode of Writing Excuses has been brought to you by Audible. Visit audiblepodcast.com slash excuse for free trial membership. This is Writing Excuses, Season 4, Episode 29, Line Editing. 15 minutes long because you're in a hurry. And we're not that smart. I'm Brandon. I'm Dan. I'm Howard. And if we'd been really smart, we would have cut a line or word or two out of our, out of our tagline this week. Um, we are talking I'm line Brandon, editing. I'm Dan and Howard. <laughs> <laughs> and we're that smart. <laughs> um, one of the things we get asked most often by listeners is to do more podcasts on editing. And right now I'm doing a line edit of Towers of Midnight. I'm posting percentages cut from chapters. I'm doing the tightening just line by line trying to make it shorter. So we thought we would do a podcast where we showed you what we're talking about. And um, in the classic sense of show versus tell, we're going to actually try it out. Uh, Now I have to give a disclaimer here. We're going to try it out on the first book I ever wrote. All right. Uh, this is from 94? Uh, no, this would be, yeah, 94. Actually, yes. 94. This is 1994. Um, this is a book that I, um, that I started writing on my mission um, on P-Days, <laughs> scribbled in a notebook. Um, it is very bad, but we're not going to talk about making it, making it good. We're going to talk about making it tight. So our comments are not going to reference the the actual material. We're going to try and rewrite sentences to retain the same meaning and enhance clarity to make them more brief Mm -hmm. and to to get rid of passive voice and things like that. For for clarification here, what we're doing, uh, a line edit, usually comes in the process after you've done like a copy edit. Right. After the book is good... You're making it better. Not, not, not necessarily a copy edit, but well, story yeah. edit. Yeah, big, story, yeah, big, all the big story, story edit. That's what I meant, yeah. story edit. All yeah. the story editing is generally done at this point, or the big things. Sometimes I'm changing them in, as in I'm fact, line editing, but yeah. We should point out that the temptation to line edit, uh, you know, if you catch yourself writing in passive voice or yeah. using too many adverbs or something, the temptation to go back and quickly line edit uh, can derail you and slow things way down if you do that before story editing. Right. Editing because story editing often the whole paragraph, the whole yeah, chapter it's, it's just has to go. It's going to change all the content anyway. So yeah. this is really a, a final polish ish right. kind of thing. All right. So um, that forewarned, this is not going to be good, but it <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be brilliant because yeah. you wrote it yeah, and can do no wrong. Years ago. All right. This is my first line. You guys ready for this? All right. The wind blew carelessly and freely. Wow. And happily. Yes. And windily. And yes. adverbially. Adverbially. Uh, let's let's yes. lose the adverbs. Okay. How do, do we, we lose wanna... the adverbs? Well, you we, I would, the first thing I would do is pair it all the way back to core meaning. The wind blew. Okay. Do I need to know... I mean, was the wind changing direction as it blew? What are we trying to communicate with the adverbs? Um, to be perfectly honest, I think I was just unconsciously copying Robert Jordan. Um, who started every one of his books with wind blowing around. The wheel turns. What I would do with this one is actually just cut out the second one. The wind blew carelessly. Okay. Is how I would edit that down. Um, I'm kind of tempted to go with what Howard said and just say the wind blew, but there would need to be something else there, but we're not going to change meaning. If you look at the beginning of Mistborn, I just talked about the ash falling from the sky. Mm -hmm. Um, And that was to set scene. It wasn't to be a pow sentence. It was to set scene. The wind blew might just be enough. Um, I actually, but the wind blew carelessly is nice. Um, I might have just cut this myself to the wind blew careless and free. 
Uh, if you lose the adverbs, the whole idea behind cutting those out is you don't need them. The sentence means the same thing without mm -hmm. them, yeah. and it doesn't draw as much attention to itself. The parallel structure, sometimes parallel structure is good. Most of the time, it's going to draw attention, pull the reader out, and kind of give them an, an, an unconscious the wind blew. The wind blew carelessly and freely versus mm -hmm. careless and free. You're right. Mm -hmm. Same yeah. meaning. The wind blew carelessly removes freely right. and changes some of the happiness that might have yeah, been implicit just a to the little wind. Bit. And yeah. the wind blew mm -hmm. is completely contextless. Mm -hmm. Right. Very uh, neutral. And what, what else is yeah. the wind going to do? Right. right. That <laughs> sentence all by... <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, the th other thing to say about the sentence is I, I did begin with anthropomorphizing the wind, which is Mm -hmm. Not necessarily a good idea in a fantasy novel where the wind is not actually a character. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, so anyway, all right. Though, though I think it yeah. bears mentioning that as a first line, it's, it's kind of neat that that's essentially the opposite tone of it was a dark and stormy night. Oh, that's true. So yeah. that's very clever of you. I, I did it very intentionally and not at all <laughs> to just copy Robert Jordan. Um, as we continue, the wind continues through the entire like first four paragraphs. Um, it caressed the stark dunes with its whispering touch, catching fine grains of sand between incorporeal fingers and bearing them forth like hundreds of tiny charioteers. These guys have never wow. heard these lines before. Yeah. Wow. Oh, That's my goodness. Um, still a lot of anthropomorphizing yes. again. Mm -hmm. uh, anthropomorphizing, which... I, it's okay. I would, I would try and keep the metaphor consistent. Mm -hmm. um, caressing and whispering touch. The mm -hmm. whispering is a little weird because we're, I mean, if we're caressing and whispering, that's very romantic. Right. Mm -hmm. um, the, and the metaphor actually between those two sticks, the next metaphor does not match them is with what you're the, saying. The yeah, charioteers. with the charioteers. Yeah. Well, the, the line That's that concerned me was yeah. the incorporeal fingers, which yeah. at that point, the wind is a character rather right. than a force of nature to me. Right. And, and is a, l a little overwritten anyway, and so... Well, that's the, the big thing you're going to notice about these opening paragraphs is they're overwritten. Um, you'll notice this for lots of early writers when they're first trying out. Mm -hmm. um, their first paragraphs, they'll try really hard to make them very vivid. And to new writers, very vivid means lots of adjectives and adverbs yeah. and yeah. lots of mixed metaphors. Yeah, um, one, one of the paradoxes of writing is that when you try to be fancy, you make it far less fancy. Yeah. Um, really good writing tends to be much more lean, much more spare. Um, with this one, I, to try and retain meaning, um, but, but make it shorter, I would probably say just it caressed the stark dunes, catching fine grains of, and you don't need this of sand. So catching fine grains, cross out the of sand. Mm -hmm. And between incorporeal fingers, don't need that at all. Yeah. So it, it becomes... Caressed the stark dunes. Um, catching. Gently brushing grains. You know, if you, you're working with the caress. Okay. Gently brushing, you know, grains into the sky. And... Gently fondling grains <laughs> into the sky. Let's move, let's move to a sentence that doesn't I'm make not me feel quite so yet, dirty. Though. Let's see. It um, caressed the stark dunes, catching fine grains, um, and burying them forth like hundreds of tiny charioteers. I actually think that's kind of a, a nifty little, uh, little metaphor. Um, if we just lose some of the fat earlier, the metaphor mm -hmm. is allowed to sing, and we're not distracting so much that's, from that's it. That's very true. It works a lot better. All right. Um, the sand, bone white in color as if it had been bleached by the sun's harsh stare, seemed to shine for a second with a sharp inner light. Then it dulled in color to a deep black. Two sentences there. What do you do with do you, those? Do you know what makes the sand white? 
What's that? I the do, but... Oh, okay. It, it's not the sun's it's harsh stare? It's not the sun's harsh stare. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Well, and the sun's harsh stare, I mean, you already said bleached, mm -hmm. um, which, unless there's actual bleach, you know, the sun seems implied there. Yeah. So I think that could go. I think Though the entire... sun... Yeah. I don't know. I wouldn't say... I wouldn't, I wouldn't give the as if, I wouldn't give the red herring about uh, yeah. what colored the sand. I'd just say, you know, the bone white sand. What was the rest of the sentence? The sand, bone white in color, as if bleached by the sun's harsh stare, seemed to shine for a second with a sharp inner light. Okay. The bone white sand seemed to shine, seemed to shine yeah. with an inner light. You know, I might, um, since I know, um, this is one thing to add, for readers to ask yourself. We use the phrases, things like seemed to, for fairly often when we don't actually want to. That's true. Um, we overuse things like that. Um, yeah, I would probably just say the sand, the, the, we've got this whole seam to shine. Does it shine or does it not shine? Um, if it shines, mm -hmm. just say it shines. Is it day it, or night? It, yeah, is, we don't even know if it's day or night. Well, we've got the sun's harsh, yeah. um, harsh stare, which is actually a bad thing to cut here because we actually need that. Mm -hmm. But it needs to go somewhere else. Maybe that would be best in the first sentence. The wind blew carelessly beneath the sun's harsh glare. I'd take out or stare to get rid of the bone white yeah. sand glistened under the sun's harsh stare. Yeah, glowing with it for a second with a sharp inner light. Then it dulled in color to a deep black. You don't need the cut. Deep black, we all know that's a color. So you could cut that and say, then it dulled to a deep black. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Mm-hmm. All right, let's stop for our book of the week. Um, hopefully one that's better than this book. Um, Howard, you were going <laughs> to give us... I've got one that's yeah. a lot better than this book. As demonstrated uh, historically, uh, Larry Niven and Jerry Purnell, The Moat in God's Eye. Uh, Jerry Purnell, we've told the story before, uh, came to Life, the Universe, and Everything and talked about this book and the editing process during a panel on crispy, crunchy writing. And he said that uh, they needed to pull 10% uh, of, they, they needed to shorten the book by 10%. And so he and Larry sat down and did line edits, just like we're doing, and kept score on every page to see how many words they were removing from each page. And if they were, you know, a little more than 10%, great. A little less than 10%, you know, maybe we can make it up on the next page. And just polished the book in that way. And uh, Jerry said that one of the products of that tight editing is that the book has continued to sell strongly for 20, 30 years now. It's just continued to sell strongly because when you remove some of those, some of yeah. those quirks of voice, it gains a sort of timelessness and, and performs well. So have so. a listen. It's at uh, audiblepodcast.com slash excuse, where you can go and get your 15-day free trial, uh, support the cast, and the book is Moat in God's Eye by Larry Niven and Jerry Purnell. It's a really a classic of science fiction. If you Absolutely. haven't read it, you're, you're missing out. Um, all right, we're going to get back to this. Um, I'm going to warn you, we're going to skip all of the next overwritten scene setting. It goes on, I just looked, for something like five pages. Oh, I'm nice. Really, I'm serious. <laughs> That's a lot of sandy, glistening wind. Yeah, it's a lot of sandy, glistening wind. <laughs> it's a lot wind. of uh, 
Yeah. Until we finally get to Dialogue? the line, it was across these stoic sands that the form stumbled. Edit this. Okay, the form stumbled across these stoic sands. Okay, why did you do that? Because now it's an active voice. Okay, explain why that made it the active voice. Okay, because all the words were out of order in the first one. Um, I people don't know how do this to explain a lot. The this. I'm, I'm pushing you on this. New writers do this a ton. It was across these stoic sands. They, they, they think. Okay, the stoic mm -hmm. sands. We've just spent all this time establishing these cool sands. So those are our power word, so our power image. We're going to start with those, and then move on from there to the next, the next, yeah. next idea, which. You know, makes a lot of sense logically, but when you read it on the page, it's confusing. It does sound weird. the form is doing the actions. And so having the form that is stumbling be it in the predicate instead of the beginning of the sentence. I don't even remember what the beginning of the sentence is. It was a cross. Here's a guy with a master's degree in English. <laughs> it's the, <laughs> That's a, yeah, subject. the subject yeah. of your sentence subject, is yeah. it. Yeah. yeah. It. It was, was a cross. Mm -hmm. And so just by saying the form stumbled across these stoic stands... You lose a couple words, and you start with what is actually active. Well, and you doing start it. with action instead yeah. of in, hiding the action at the end. In a later paragraph, do we get a name? Is there a reason uh, we didn't lead with a name or any sort of descriptor? Excellent point. This is something that new writers do a lot, and it looks like I did. I've forgotten this. Um, I don't think we get a name for, um, like, three pages. There's no wow. reason to not give us a name except that... Um, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know why we if, do this. If I well, am supposed to be, and this is verging yeah. into story edit, I know, yeah. but if I am supposed to be attached to this character, um, I, yeah. the, the lead-in should be more than just form. Now, I think I know why we do this. It's because we're trying to um, set, New Riders, panoramic scale, mm -hmm. narrowing slowly into this character, and... Right now, in our, our cinematic visual, we've just seen the sweeping sands that, you know, Lawrence of Arabia is wandering across. And now we're going to zoom in on this figure and describe this figure probably for several pa pages. I'm sorry. But, and then we'll find out who this figure is. It yeah. seems like that's what the and progression is, he, is. Is he carrying a mirror that he checks? Um, I don't think I did that. <laughs> I think I knew by then you weren't <laughs> supposed to do that. Um, the... Uh the, the, the thing is, this is not just a guy without a name. It's not even a guy. It's a form. Right. We don't know yeah. if it's male it or female. We don't yeah. know if it's human. We um, find out it's man three sentences later. Let's go on to the next one. The figure was not really all that unnatural. Many found themselves, whether by accident or intention, within the sand's, sand, sun's sandy domain. Wow. Within the sand, sun's sandy domain. So, Howard, I'm, I'm pitching this one to you. Um, the figure was not really all that unnatural. Okay. What you are saying in this sentence is um, it's not uncommon for people to cross the desert. Right. Um, but it's also not pleasant. Yes. I think that's what I was saying. Okay. Um, <laughs> if I've got the name and I've got information about the character, I would jump at this point, all the way into the character's POV and talk about how he knows, you know, this wasn't his first time crossing the desert and he hated it just as much as if okay. it had been. Now, but see, but that's a story. I'm, I'm not going to let you give us that one because editing. that would be a wonderful way to start this, to establish character straight up, but, um, but that's content editing. I know. Um, so I think we can well, cut the really. How about that? 
We cut the really. I think we can that? remove maybe the double negative. Okay. It was not <laughs> unnatural. All right. Figures like this were natural. Many found themselves, whether by accident or intention, within the sun's sandy domain. <laughs> it's so hard with this line because it's... I, I think we can just beat this to a pulp and it still might not be um, readable. Next line, the desert was unperturbed by the man's presence, methodically reclaiming his footprints with stoic tolerance. Can't use stoic again. Nice catch. I just saw that myself. Um, I think I really liked that word. I wonder how many times I used it. Stoically? Yes. Mm -hmm. Stoically continue to use it for the... So, um, this th desert that, was that line actually is not terrible if I, we cut out most of the adjectives. Methodically covering the man's footsteps. Yep. Um, As he passed. You know, I might just say that I might combine these sentences, try and shrink them down and say, the desert methodically reclaiming his footprints behind him. Yeah. yeah. Um, something like that. We've still got a lot of... Um, of making the, 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 the desert a character, the wind, everything. Um, but that might just be all right in this book. Yeah. yeah. All right. Here's a great one for you. The man couldn't, in any con honest definition of the word, be regarded as being conscious. Wow. <laughs> wow. That's some, that's some he archaic He stumbled uh, mechanically as if asleep. Hey, wow. <laughs> nice. Man, are you a writer or something? I, well, okay. Now let me let me backpedal. Okay. Let me backpedal on mechanically, because contextually, the the likening of something to something mechanical right. would might not work in this book. Yeah. Um, but he stumbled as if sleepwalking. Yeah. Or you could say he stumbled like a marionette or something yeah. like mm -hmm. that. Um, Which actually, given how much we've personified the desert, yeah. dehumanizing this guy with a word like mechanical, yeah, actually is very cool. Yeah. It was stubbornness that guided him now. Sentience had been sucked away long ago. Stubbornness guided him now. You don't need it was. Um, and what was the rest of the sentence? Sentience had been sucked away long ago. The, desert, the yeah. desert had long ago sucked away his sentience. Oh, so you actually added words to that. I one. added that because I'm, I'm working with... We've made right. the desert a character. Mm -hmm. uh, let's, mm -hmm. let's make the desert a little more aggressive. Okay. Provided that it was the desert, we not knowing his background, he might yeah. have actually lost his sentience. I think it was the, the desert. Something else. Um, so, um, wow, that keeps going for two more pages. All right. Well, Brandon, we, we're yeah. going to need more than fifteen minutes to fix this book. <laughs> Maybe we'll uh, do this again in another podcast if people like us. We are out of time. Um, Dan, do you want to give us a writing prompt? Yes, your writing prompt is. Um, you you need to write a story about a man stumbling through the desert. Um, and is aided in some way by a headless monkey. <laughs> well, okay. Okay, well, this has been Writing Excuses. Uh, you're out of excuses, and you have headless monkeys. Now go write. If you aren't familiar with Locus Magazine, they're a long-standing and respected website, magazine, archive, and resource for science fiction, fantasy, and horror. Basically, they're the industry magazine for our genre. They also run the annual Locus Awards, a top-tier award that recognizes new, diverse, and excellent voices in speculative fiction. They tell the storyteller's stories through author interviews, book reviews, curated reading lists, international industry news, obituaries, and more. Locus has meant a lot to me, both personally and professionally. 
In my career, I've been interviewed by them, and I've also turned to them as a source of understanding who is involved in the industry. Locus is holding their annual fundraising drive to keep their doors open, lights on, and future bright. I'll be contributing to their crowdfunding campaign by donating a cutscene, some original art, and a couple of other things like, do you want to do a one-on-one chat with me? So join me in supporting Locus. Locus. 